I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you like what you hear, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy it. Today's episode was sponsored by Nest Notes, which is a company founded by a mom named Chase Simmering, who's in Miami, and they create print keepsakes that tell stories, which as you all know, stories are like my favorite thing, whether they're family stories or stories of the places we call home. So shop kids' stationery and paper goods and little journals and all the rest um, at this amazing company, nestnotes.com. Lara Prescott is the author of The Secrets We Kept, an instant New York Times bestseller and a Hello Sunshine Reese's book club pick. The Secrets We Kept is Lara's debut novel and will be translated into over 30 languages and adapted for TV by the Ink Factory and Mark Platt Productions. Lara received her MFA from the Mishner Center for Writers at the University of Texas. She studied political science at American University in Washington, D.C. and international development in Namibia and South Africa. Prior to writing fiction, Lara worked as a political campaign consultant. Lara's writing has appeared in the Southern Review, the Hudson Review, Crazy Horse, and more. She currently lives in Austin, Texas with her husband, son, cats, and dog. Welcome, Lara. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. So the secrets we kept. By the way, I read this on my iPad and I kept taking all these screenshots of quotes and my husband was like sleeping next to me. This is a few days ago when I was like finishing it. And every so often I'd be like, Shh, and he'd like shoot him. And then I'm like, it's another really good quote. Anyway. <laughs> so there was lots to memorial, you know, commemorate or whatever the word is. Anyway, would you mind, I know this was an instant bestseller and everybody probably knows what it's about, but would you mind just giving like a quick summary for the people who might not have heard of your book? Sure. The, the Secrets We Kept is a work of historical fiction and it's based on the true story behind Boris Pasternak's Dr. Zhivago and how it was used as a weapon during the Cold War. But my book really focuses on women behind the story. So a group of CIA secretaries and Boris Pasternak's real life mistress and muse, Olga Evanskaya. And were you really, I saw on your website, you were actually named for Lara in the book? I was, I was. So my mom's favorite film is like the 1965 adaptation of Dr. Zhivago. And it's also one of her favorite books. She always reminds me to tell people that because she's like, I love the book first. (laughs) (laughs) But so, yeah, I was named Laura after, you know, Boris Pasternak's heroine in Dr. Zhivago. And it was this kind of name that I hated growing up with because everyone would always pronounce it wrong. And we had a Lara who was a couple years older than me in school. So all the teachers called me Lara instead of Lara. And I was like, Mom, why couldn't you have just, you know, put a U in my name? And she's like, no, that's different. <laughs> and it wasn't until, you know, my adult years that I started actually correcting people and saying, no, like, my name is Lara, like, this is how you pronounce it. And now my mom thinks it's her, you know, fate that led me to write this book in the first place. As every good mom does, you have to take responsibility for every good thing your child does. Absolutely. I probably will do the same. <laughs> I had the same thing in school, by the way. My nickname was like an albatross. Every I had to always explain and how to spell it. And that's why I ended up naming my kids things that like nobody could mess up. That was my one 
criteria. <laughs> that's smart. Yeah, my son's name's James, so it's pretty easy. Yeah, that's even easier than probably my kids. <laughs> and you're, he's so cute, by the way. Your Instagram is like a love letter to your son. It's like adorable. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's extremely adorable and photogenic. So yes. I feel like since the quarantine, it's one of the things that gives me joy. And I usually hadn't posted a ton of stuff about my or pictures of myself over the years. Now I'm like constantly taking photos of him. So I noticed that I was like, I am literally watching like a mother falling in love with her child in this feed. It's like all about work stuff, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like kid hundred percent of the time. Yeah. It was like, Cat content, then puppy content, right, yes, content yes. and now baby content. <laughs> <laughs> and now the the paperback is coming out, so that's exciting. You'll have to put a few posts about that. <laughs> yes, the paperback is out um, as of a couple days ago. So yeah, had to had to show everyone the new cover, have it the new cover, the oh, paperback, and yeah, it's exciting. It's it's such a different space to be, you know, quarantined at home. But I feel like the opportunity to talk to podcasts like yours and also zoom into book clubs has been really fun for me and especially as a new mom because I can just come out I'm in this little shed in my backyard and I can just come out and have the quiet space of my writing shed but also do interviews and do do book clubs from people in Japan which I did a couple weeks ago and it's like a it's a good I guess a positive thing that's happened with with everything that's going on you should come to my book club if you want I have a virtual book club I'll if you're interested it. all right <laughs> yeah I, I'm like I the paperback actually has new book club questions in the back which is great and so it's actually my highlight of you know publishing a book is going to be able to speak to to book clubs or libraries has been really fun in addition to just the regular bookstores it's it's much more of an intimate and interesting environment. People really get in deep with a book, with book clubs, which I think is just so fun and provocative too. Totally. I completely yeah. agree. So this is your debut novel and you met with like the most success probably a book could have, right? This is like, it swept the world by storm. What was that feeling like? And I want to talk more about the actual book, but like Going from, like, describe the writing process and, like, how it was when you were going through so much research and traveling to Russia and going through all these documents and doing all this stuff for tell me how long and then having it become a success. Like, just take me through that that journey. Yeah, it's it's kind of still that hasn't hit me exactly everything that's gone through with the book, but... I started researching in 2014 because my dad sent me the Washington Post article that the CIA had finally come out with all of these documents detailing the mission to smuggle Dr. Zhivago back behind the Iron Curtain because it had been this rumor for years and years and years, decades, and finally they released these documents. And so it was like that same day, I see this article, I start reading all the documents on the CIA's website. There's like about 100 of them. And I knew, I think I sent someone emails like, this is going to be the novel I'm going to write. And so I started a lot of research before I even started writing it. And like by fate, I actually got a fellowship at the University of Texas. And so I still live here in Austin, Texas. But I went to the Mishner Center right around that time. And that gave me an uninterrupted time to write and work on the novel, three years worth. Otherwise, I probably still would be writing this novel. I don't think I would have gone through it so fast because I was working. 
and just able to write in the mornings or the evenings. And so this gave me this time to just really like crush it out. So I sold the book in 2018. So I began the research in 2014. But, you know, as you're working on these things, especially for debut authors, and this is my kind of take at a second career. I had worked in Washington in politics for a number of years. So this was kind of my true love that I was going back to. You really don't have hopes that it's even going to be published. I had zero hopes. In fact, I, I knew this was my thesis for, for my grad to graduate the Mister Center, and I hoped that maybe someday someone would read it, but I just didn't realize that there would be any interest. And I'd had some people, um, some agents and stuff say no one's really interested in Russia anymore. And so you, you go through that rejection as a writer. It's just part of you know what happens. So when it did sell, it, it sold so quickly and it went to auction, at the time, I felt like I was in a, a haze that I had no idea that anyone would be interested, let alone all these editors that I just dreamed to work with and now I was talking to on the phone. And it was really a whirlwind where I almost felt kind of sick or nauseous while it was happening. And I felt the same way when Reese posted about my book because I just felt like this weird, like, is this happening? It, it feels very separate from my own life as a writer, just working by yourself in sweatpants for years and years, and all of a sudden it's out in the world. So it's still something I think I'm coming to terms with as, like, the duality of the writer and, and then now your book's out and you're the author. It's, it's, it's an interesting mix, and... I think it took me a solid year to even come to grips that it was coming out. <laughs> and I love it, yeah, and then it, you know, got is being published in thirty different languages and traveled all over the world for the the fall tour. And you know, a lot of my tour got canceled in the spring because of COVID. And so that's it's almost a much needed break right now to start working on a new book. Do you feel like a ton of pressure now having to start a new book after all this? I mean, yeah, I do. I do. But I think I feel the pressure because I mean, I felt the pressure before this. It's just a different type of pressure. It's like the life of the writer is always some sort of anxiety lurking in the, the back of our minds. But, you know, when I was writing the book, I was like, oh, my gosh, I took a, a chance on a new career. I had to quit my job and do all this move across the country. Like, will it pay off? Will I actually write the book and get it published? And now the anxiety is more, you know, I have a readership now and I want to, you know, write another book that people are going to enjoy, but also something that I'm passionate about and comes from my heart. So I'm actually thankful that I am not on the line for another book right now. I can take my time and thinking about what that passion is and what I want to say and then, you know, really, really work on it. But yeah, there's, I guess there's always that little bit of pressure. You, you reach one milestone and there's always something else above you. <laughs> I try not to think about it. I really try to, you know, separate myself from the business of writing and, and leave that up to everyone else. And for me, I really just want to make myself proud and write something that I want to read. And I do feel pressure to accomplish that. There was so much in your book, like the political prisoner aspect and like just feeling like you could feel her skin wrinkling and like the uh, what it felt like to be like starving and on that bed. And like, gosh, you just like so put me in that 
moment where I, I, you know, obviously I haven't trudged through the snow and I haven't lived this type of life. And you just like, it was so immersive. It felt like I really was experiencing it. But then you also have like a love affair and what happens when you love someone who's married to someone else? And like, how do you reconcile that? And even her relationship with her children and like when she sent them into Moscow and stayed back, like that also is like breaking my heart. Like there's so many, and then the typist pool and like what that's like and the relationship with men and superiors at work. And they're like, you hit on like every theme imaginable. It's like, it's amazing all the different experiences wrapped up in this one book. Like, how did you do? How did you do that? How did you figure out what to put in? How to tell it? The dual time, you know, east and west. Like, tell me about the structuring of it and how you how you came up with that. The structure is was probably the most mind numbing thing that happened to write or to think about because when I was writing the first draft. The first draft, I just was writing anything that came to my mind, storylines, care is almost like character sketches. You know, what would Olga do in this situation? What would Sally and Arena do in this situation? And really discovering them. So my first draft was, you know, double the size of the final draft. And that's unfortunately, I think, how I write. <laughs> I keep thinking, oh, next time I'll be able to just like zero in on the story and write it. But no, I think I write really long. And then I find that structure. And I had the fortunate mentorship from Elizabeth McCracken. And she was also my thesis advisor. And one thing she she gave me the advice was after my first draft, and I had this, you know, massive documents, and all these different explorations, she said, you know, take Take it and maybe even print it out and start writing on note cards or writing on a whiteboard all the beats of the story so that you can then piece them together. And so the finished project that goes back and forth and all these different character stories weave together, that came with the second and third draft. That was not the original form. It was more of like I wrote for Olga for 50 pages and then Sally and then going back and forth. And that was very interesting to do but she was right when you take it out of the word document and you see it in a physical you know form whether note cards are on your wall I have this picture of me with like note cards all over the wall and you can really start piecing it together and, and weaving it together so it was probably what I'll do for the next novel I'm not sure if I'll have so many narrators but it is it is interesting to find the actual beats of the story I don't outline ahead of time I guess it's come second. <laughs> and so many of the things that you wrote seemed so specific. Like even when someone's like walking down a hall and you're like, then they get to the elevator. Wait, the elevator's not working. Wait, we turn right. Like, was that all true? Yeah, a, a large portion of that was true. For Olga's section of the novel, she published her own story in a book called A Captive of Time. And she documents, you know, every step of the way what that interrogation in Lubyanka was like and how they shipped them to the gulag and what working on the camp was like. So that particular section, I mean, there might be, I would have to like go back, there might be some there's a, it's all fictionalized, but, you know, the beats of being taken down the hall and to the elevator and the, the almost like psychological warfare they're playing with her and toying with her before they interrogate her is all true. For the Eastern side, I try to use as much of those facts as possible. And if there was any documentation of what happened or quotes, I tried to weave that in as much as I could. Wow. Did you go back and read Dr. Zhivago? 
again? Or had you read it? Or Oh, I've read it numerous times, and I definitely read it while I was writing. I think I read it twice during the different drafts. I haven't read it since I've finished the book, which I think will be an interesting thing to, to experience. And I probably will take a couple years off from rereading it. But it's one of those books that I read every couple years since I was a teenager. Wow. I haven't, yeah. I'm not sure if I ever read it. I know I watched the movie. It was one of my mother's favorites too. I remember. <laughs> but now I feel like I need to go get that book. Like I feel like your book with Dr. Zhivago with a little bow around it. That's like a perfect, like, here you go. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like take a, it, it's just so neat when you have a, a book kind of about another book. That's like a whole historical yeah. work in and of itself. It's it's very neat. And then to have your own like thoughts and feelings and experiences with it. And then your family connection too. It's amazing. <laughs> and it was, it was something I was cognizant of because I didn't want people to have to have read the book before my book, but I wanted to, if they haven't read it, inspire them to read the book or see the David Lean film or just, you know, kind of experience it in another way after mine, which is, I think, something fun with historical fiction. When Anytime I'm reading historical fiction or watching a movie, I always am like, I got to look this up. I got to read more about this and see what really happened, what didn't, what was fictionalized. That's part of the fun of it, I think. And even all the little details, like the paper towels stuffed into the back of someone's dress because <laughs> it was so hot. I just love it. It was so vivid and you could like put yourself in anyone's shoes, which is like the height of empathy. And that's like what the great part about fiction, right? It's like that you get to be in someone else's head and, and especially from a historical perspective. Anyway, it's very neat. (laughs) I think that her towel scene was loosely inspired by my own going to interview in Washington, DC. It was like, I think it was in July and I was walking to K Street and I was like sweating like crazy and I had been all dressed up for my first interview and I was like, no, and I like jump into a Starbucks and like mopping my forehead. (laughs) So that has a little base in my own life. I mean, everyone has been there. Like everyone has been drenched and not known what to do about it and like how to hide this like very physical like thing when you're not supposed to look sweaty, but somehow it's like a thousand degrees. So what are you supposed to do? So (laughs) that's the best part about Austin. You never really have to dress up compared to when I lived in DC. It's very laid back. And tell me a little more about how about the the big screen adaptation of this book. So right now they're looking to develop it for television, a limited series on television. And the latest I heard is the pilot script is has been written or is being worked with right now. They have the screenwriter and they're looking to build out a writing room to further look at the rest of the series. And they have a director, but I'm not sure if I can say who is who right now, but it's in the works for television, which is pretty cool because it seems like the best novel adaptations, in my opinion, in the last few years have been with television. You know, you have Little Fires Everywhere, you have Normal People, of course, Handmaid's, you know, all of these different things that you can have so much more room to work with compared to film, but... I feel like before, like, miniseries were not cool. Do you know, like, nobody wanted to watch a miniseries. That was, like, I don't know, it reminds me of, like, PBS. But not, not to say there's anything wrong with PBS. It's just, like, a, it like the branding of a miniseries is so different from now. A limited series is, like, what everybody wants to do, and that's, like, all I want to watch. <laughs> Absolutely. That Yeah, some sort of, I don't know who rebranded it to limited series, but it sounds more maybe exclusive, like, oh, I got to get it because it's limited or 
But yeah, I guess it'd just be called miniseries. There'd yeah. be a miniseries adaptation now. It's it, it, but the television has changed so much where you have it's you know prestige television and you can you know digest it all at once if you want to on different platforms. It's it's changed so much in the last five years alone. Do you feel like you have learned anything from some of your characters about relationships or love or anything? Like, what have you learned from that? Or maybe you haven't. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, I think, I think I, I'm interested in different themes of loyalty and the different forms that love takes and how it changes and changes people over time. So even if love is one way from the beginning, you know, what is it like, you know, 10 years later, 20 years later, and especially with Olga, you know, her falling in love with this very famous, powerful man and how the relationship dynamics change throughout that and, and the power shifts. And I think you learn how, you know, love or relationships in general are never one way for the end of time. It's always evolving. And, you know, I think that was something I was interested in exploring through both Olga, but also Sally and Arena's relationship and how you know certain, even if it's a brief relationship, can change the course of your life or change your direction. And that's something that, you know, even now I have a, a four and a half month old and I see this different version of myself and different version of my husband. And, and it brings us to a different level of the relationship, which it's so it's just constantly changing. And that's, I think, something I've learned more than what I used to think it has to be one way. And it has to be perfect. It's not evolving. So especially through, I think, Olga's relationship, I, I see that a lot. I think you timed your baby perfectly because having a child, especially your first child, requires like a complete stopping of regular life. And and usually you have to take yourself out of the, the chaos, but now everybody's at home. It's like perfect. It must be perfect. That's what I, w- I was joking. Well, because my son is adopted. And so we did not know when this baby was going to come. And in fact, we thought it would be probably now or in the fall is what we were given as an estimate. But that did not happen. We got the call and everything changed almost overnight. So this was in February. And then, it, you know, a couple of weeks later, we were you know, quarantined at home. But we were already been quarantined <laughs> with this, this baby. And I think that's something that I feel that there is a lot of joy in just being at home with him and having maybe more entertainment that he's there and you have someone to take care of. And, you know, I couldn't go on tour. I'm just I'm just home. And it's been difficult because family hasn't been able to and family and friends haven't been able to come and help and see. And but at the same time, it's been wonderful in that way. Wow, that's so you nice. You can't go anywhere anyway. And you would have I wouldn't be taking him anywhere in like 100 degree Austin heat right now, <laughs> so maybe to the backyard pool, but that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any advice for aspiring authors? I think my biggest piece of advice is do not think that every sentence you write has to be perfect when you write it down. I think people who are aspiring to that level of perfection can achieve it but you'll never get there because you're focused sentence word at a time and it might deter you from the momentum that experimenting and making this mistakes can give you. And so for me, I'm trying to remind myself of this right now when I'm working on this first draft of a new novel, I'll just say, keep going, keep going, get to the end. It's much easier to look at 
you know, 300 pages that are full and fix those pages than the blank page. And just don't give up. It takes a long time and you'll get there. Love it. Well, thank you, Laura. Thanks for coming on Mom's Don't Have Time to Read Books, especially as a new mom. <laughs> and <laughs> thanks for taking me through the like snow-filled gulag and all the rest and hot Washington, D.C. and just like making a totally transformative experience through your your novel. It really took me places and I love that. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. All right. Thank you. (laughs) Bye. Thanks again for listening to my podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you liked this episode, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and sign up for my mailing list at zibbyowens.com so you can always hear about the latest things I'm up to. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much to nestnotes.com for sponsoring today's podcast. Check them out for some amazing print keepsakes that tell your family stories. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. 